Hi, this is Jim Swilly. Welcome to Metron Live. Metron is a Greek word that means sphere of influence. I believe in living your best life possible, and that's the reason for this podcast. This is my Metron. Now let me help you discover yours. Welcome to Metron Live Podcast, coming to you live from beautiful, historic Midtown Atlanta. Metron people, would you give the podcast people a big welcome? Hello, hello. What I'm talking about this morning, uh, and it, when we do go back to weeklies, I'm going to—I mean, yeah, weekly meetings. I'm going to get back more into series. I really, I really have missed doing series because I think you can explore a lot of things. Anyway, my title today is "The Evolution of Consciousness: No Longer Alienated in Your Mind." And what was interesting is this morning uh, on the way over here, Ken was driving, and I was just scrolling through my feed and. Um, this uh, Kay Fairchild, who I've never met, we just know each other through Facebook, uh, she posted this, and it was such a confirmation to what I'm talking about today. Uh, she says, one cannot become who they already are any more than they can enter a room they are already in. One cannot unbecome anything since they are sanctified, spirit-filled, and deified through and through according to Second uh, Thessalonians 5.23. What one can do is realize their oneness and true identity from before the foundation of the world. There are no opposites, becoming and unbecoming in the kingdom of God. Only one we are, which is kind of in a microcosm what I want to talk about today. Before I show you this um, opening passage out of John chapter 15, and honestly, I don't, I don't remember that I've ever taught that much out of John 15. Not this one little section. But uh, most nights I've, I've been doing a, an 11-11 uh, live broadcast, 11 p.m. at night. A lot of people that don't stay up that late will watch it the following day. And I sort of have, <laughs> Metron is like uh, rings in a pond. You know, there's like the Metron in the theater people. There's the Metron online people. Then there's the Metron 11-11 people, which is, a subheading of the online people. And then there's the Metron Meditation Weekend people, m- many of whom have never been here to the theater. So it's, like it's kind of like I have four or five different uh, bishoprics, but, um, which is cool. But, and I don't want to go through repeating all of this, but uh, on several teachings lately, I have referred to, once again, to the first three chapters of Genesis, which those of you that have been following me for years know that I've spent a lot of time in what I believe is the thesis of the Bible. But I kind of saw it, you know, I'm always telling you that you turn the diamond just a little bit and another, uh, a, the light hits another facet and shows you something you didn't see before. And I've, I've, I've sort of been rethinking that whole thing, which I believe is an allegory. I believe that, you know, the, the earth is millions, possibly billions year, years old. And even in Genesis, uh, they refer to other civilizations that existed simultaneously with Adam and Eve. There was a place, there was the land of Nod that Cain talked about and the place where his wife came from. So this idea that there was nothingness 6,000 years ago and then God speaks everything to, into existence and it starts with Adam and Eve, I'm not sure even the Bible writers meant that. They were They were trying to explain creation in terms that, they could understand trying to trying to explain 
uh, transcendence. However, if you are a literalist and you believe that, namaste, I respect your beliefs. Believe me, that's what I was raised to believe too. Y'all still with me? Okay. What I was seeing in this uh, teaching was, first of all, some of these things I have said, but, you know, in Genesis 1.26, uh, the Elohim, which was God was spoken, initially God was spoken in the plural before uh, he began to be spoken as he, an anthropomorphic and gender-specific identity was given to him. But initially the word Elohim means the gods, plural. And so the Elohim says, let us make man in our image, or better translation, make people in our image. Um, I remember, I've told you this before, but I remember when the NIV, New International Version, came out years ago with the TNIV. It got a really bad rap from the Jerry Falwells and people of that ilk saying it was the feminist Bible, which was definitely was not. The only thing they changed about it, instead of it saying, if your brother is offended at you, they just changed it to if your brother or sister is offended. But apparently, there were some people that didn't like that. They didn't want the sisters involved, even, even being referred to them. So I was listening to NPR one day, National Public Radio, and they were interviewing an Assembly of God pastor, not throwing the AG under the bus, but he was Assembly of God. And this guy was a real crusader against the TNIV. And the interviewer said, what don't you like about this passage? Because they were saying that it denied the virgin birth, which it did not, all, all that stuff. Like I remember the Lifeway there in Conyers, the, the Christian bookstore. I went in there one day to ask. I said, do y'all do have the TNIV? And it's like I had asked them for, for porn. They were like, uh, no. You know, we, they were like looking at each other panicking. I said, really? It's the, the NIV is pretty respected you know, Zondervan and all that. Anyway, um, so he said, well, I'll give you a case in point. The, the official Bible, which he's saying King James, because apparently he lived in the 17th century in England. Um, uh, but he said, uh, the King James says, let us make man in our image. And the interviewer said, What's the difference? He said, well, in the TNIV, it says, let us make people in our image. And he's, so she said, sir, are you implying that women aren't people? And he said, ma'am, I'm just telling you what the word of God says. And I thought, wow, that's deep. I mean, I've known misogynists that still believed their wife was, oh, I don't know, maybe a little higher than a dog, but apparently not that pastor. I, wanted to, I, wa I was hoping they would interview his wife to say, by the way, your husband doesn't think you're a person. Just, just letting you know. Um, so back to Genesis. Um, in the story, it says the uh, serpent was the most subtle of any of the uh, animals. And the serpent comes to Eve and said, uh, can you eat of the tree? And he says, well, we can eat of, of anything in the uh, garden except for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil because if we eat it, we're going to die. And the serpent says, no, you're not going to die. God just knows if you, if you partake of it, you're going to become like him. All right, here's the first observation. They already were like him. That was the whole purpose. This is what I want to get across to you today. I want you to rethink this. I, want you, I don't want you to think of God 
creating you as much as I want you to think of God manifesting you. When you think of creator creation, there's a gulf. When you think of the manifestation, we came out of God. We're an extension of God. We're God on the earth. Jesus spent 33 years saying that and then said, it's necessary that I go away so that you can see there is not a gulf between the the creator and the created. Okay? Y'all still with me? Nice to be in this Episcopalian church this morning. So um, that's the first thing. I was I thought, wow, it's really interesting because what the, what the serpent tempts her with in this allegory is something that is already a reality. And then um, Adam and Eve eat. I've taught on this a lot. Creator comes to walk with them in the cool of the day. They hide from him. Creator says, Adam, where are you? Adam says, I hid from you because I was naked and I was afraid. Creator says, well, who told you you were naked? Meaning that didn't come from me. I didn't, I'm not calling you fallen. I'm not giving you any reason to be afraid of me. This is completely your own perception. And I've taught on this before. But the answer to the question is who told you you were naked is Adam told himself he was naked because of this subtle thought that came from somewhere within the subconscious, okay? So then um, Adam and Eve, uh, or the Elohim discusses them, and they say, they say well, now the, uh, the, the man or the people have become like one of us, to which I also want to say, that was your original purpose. You, you were the one who said, let us make people in our image, and now you're saying, like, well, now they're like one of us, duh, that was, I thought that's what you wanted. I thought that was the whole point of the creation. And then um, cast them out of the garden, uh, and, and they post a um, uh, cherubim with a flaming sword, not to pr- forbid them to reenter, but to show the way back to the tree of life. I've taught on this for years, that the whole you read the whole Bible, the big payoff at the end is not streets of gold, it's the tree of life. Everything's getting back to the tree of life, okay? You say, well, Bishop, you've taught on this before. All right, just try to hear this like you haven't heard it before, okay? Now, here's what I want to show you out of John. I just gave you that little bit of Genesis to give you some context. All right, here's what Jesus says in John chapter 15, and I'm reading this out of the International Standard Version. He says, I am the true vine, and my father is the vintner. He cuts off every branch that does not produce fruit in me, and he cuts back every branch that does not produce fruit so that it might produce more fruit. Hold it right there. I know y'all know this, but he's not talking about punishment. This is not talking about hell. This is not talking about people being cut off into everlasting darkness. He says... There will be pruning so that you can produce more fruit, not so that you can be punished. It's the, the, when we look at fire, uh, all through the scripture, it's the, it's the word P-U-R, where we get purification. It, fire is never used punitively. It is always used purgatively, okay? When Jesus said he separated the sheep from the goats, he said these that did not care for those who were less fortunate will go into the fire he wasn't saying they were going to go to hell he was saying 
they're going to go through something that's going to burn that indifference out of them, and they're going to become empathetic. How many of you know that there's nothing like going through something yourself to make you less judgmental of somebody else? Before it happens to you, before your marriage splits up, you can just be you can see high and mighty about everybody else's marital problems, and then you go through a divorce, and guess what? You're not quite as judgmental anymore, are you? Because you went through the fire. The goat was burned out of you, and what was left was the sheep, okay? So then he says, you are already clean because I am going to the cross, and I'm going to be wounded for your transgressions. You are already clean because of what I've spoken to you. Abide in me and I will abide in you. Just as the branch cannot produce fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who abides in me while I abide in him produces much fruit because apart from me you can do nothing. Let me say, tell you, when he says apart from me you can do nothing, he's not saying this as an ultimatum. He's saying, I'm just your source. Like John 14, 6, where he says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. He's not saying that as an ultimatum. He's, saying, he's not saying unless you become a Christian, you're going to go to hell. He's saying, because of what I've done, I'm the way. And the, the mirror translation says, my I amness mirrored in you, reflected in you, is your way, which is really the better translation. But there's this whole thing about the threatening God that's just, you know, making everybody's life miserable, that is a human concoction that did not come from God, okay? So he says, unless a person abides in me, he is thrown away like a pruned branch and dries up. He's not threatening that you're going to be cut off. He's saying the reason you don't have to be cut off is because you're in me. You're not separate from me. I'm in you, which is really what we've been saying all along. People don't realize what they're actually saying. Sometimes you hear people preach something and you think wow that's really awesome and then they like I remember one time a, a, I won't say his name but a great prophet that I loved very much who affected my life greatly by the things that he spoke early on in the when we started hearing a lot about inclusion I was at a conference and I heard him give the most powerful inclusion message I've ever heard in my life it's so strong that I remember making eye contact with another person in the crowd that we both knew what we believed and we're like man i didn't know i didn't know he believed that that's powerful what he's teaching and at the end of it he says and by the way i want to get in this stuff that carlton pearson's teaching right now that it's a damnable heresy about everybody being included and i'm listening i think did you hear what you just said for 90 minutes you just said that exact thing he talked about how the father got together and predestined everyone and decided what was going to happen to mankind. And there was no if to it, and it was, it was the fulfillment of the dream. I'm like, that was the whole thing. That was, your whole, that was your whole message. Did you not just hear what you just said? You ever had somebody say something to you, and you're like, uh, hello, pot, you're black. You know, like, cattle, hello. That's what you just said to me. I've <laughs> I'm not going to say that. Um, people gather such branches, throw them into a fire, and they are burned up. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you can ask for anything you want and you'll receive it. This is how my Father is glorified. When you produce a lot of fruit and so prove 
to be my disciples. Just as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you, so abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you'll abide in my love, just as I've kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. And if you read the rest of the chapter, he says the commandment is to love one another. It's not the Ten Commandments. It's the flow of love that you fill out of me. And you say, well, why is he referring to a father? Because in especially the Abrahamic religions, it was a very patriarchal culture. So anything that was considered superior or transcendent was always given male qualities. So, in, you know, Jesus talked about a father because that was the, that was the authority figure that everyone would uh, respect. But the, the father was really just the higher consciousness of himself. It was him manifesting himself on the earth and then removing himself to say, and now I've shown you how this can happen. You came out of that same thing that we call God. Okay? So this is, what it, this is a quote that I want to show you that sort of captures the essence of what I'm talking about today by this person. I no longer abide by the scriptural rendering of the word created, for this cements the idea that there is a big gap between the creator and the created that can never be merged. My word of choice for created is now manifested. In the beginning, God manifested itself. And if you're more comfortable with himself, that's fine. Into and as everything we see and experience in this physical landscape. With this word, the mental separation does not take place, which created the whole premise of needing to believe something to be reunited with God. All we really need is to remember who we are and how we happened. Th this is so resonated with me, and that's why this morning when I read this thing that Kay Fairchild posted, I said, well, that's exactly what I'm talking about. I love little green lights from the um, universe. They just tell me you're in the zone. You don't even know this wind, but the fact that you sang Three Little Birds, the Bob Marley song, was a huge little... Easter egg from the universe because that song always has a specific meaning for me something about specifically I ask today and I never say these things I never tell Ken I'm just like like Mary pondered them in her heart and there'll be this little thing it happens it happens nearly every time we come here there'll be this thing like oh okay there is a God there's definitely a higher power uh, if for you that's God spirit Jesus whatever your vernacular can I just tell you, it's all the same thing. Um, if you need an us versus them reference to make you feel like, well, we got the right words for it and that group doesn't, that's fine if that makes you feel better. But I can just tell you, the more you dialogue with people from be different belief systems, you found that when you talk to indigenous people, the Native Americans, you find out you're talking and you're like, oh, well, we're, kind of saying the same thing you know what i mean like you think oh well we're the remnant we're the only ones that know this <laughs> remember when the prophet says you know i'm the only one left and god says no there's three thousand people in the next town that have about like anytime you think we're the only ones we're the only ones that know this because we're so special you will find as you network and dialogue with people and this started Eddie, this started with me years ago when the man who 
really is out of my life now because he could not follow me where I went in my teaching. But he did have, for a season, affected me greatly. And he came out of the United Pentecostal Church, which I had been taught that Jesus-only people, they were, I mean, in Bible college, they told me they are a cult. They deny the Trinity. I had a professor that said, if you, try, if you deny the Trinity, you'll lose your soul. But if you try to understand the Trinity, you'll lose your mind. That's how he tried to, that was like one of the first days of my class. So I was taught that Jesus-only people were a cult. So this guy came out of the UPC. So one day while we were building the first building, I asked him, I said, I said explain to me, because I'm filled with all this stuff from Bible college that told me never to talk to people like you. But it sounds like when we talk, it sounds like we're saying the same thing. Explain to me the whole thing about being baptized in Jesus' name as opposed to, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He explained it to me. I said, oh, well, that aren't, aren't we saying the same thing? Isn't it just a matter of semantics? And that's why some of y'all thought I was being cute when I would do this, but that's why when I used to baptize people, I would say, I now baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost in the name of Jesus because I'm covering all my bases. I'll immerse you if you want it and sprinkle you on the way up. But last Easter, we, I, I poured something over your heads. It, I, I honestly don't think Jesus was in heaven going, you didn't do it right. You got to get that nose all the way under that water or they're not buried with me in baptism. It's amazing the crazy stuff that people come up with to make themselves feel better about what they believe and think somebody else is wrong. I know I refer to this all the time. Let me refer to it again. The disciples came to Jesus. They said, there's this guy over here. We don't know him. We didn't sanction him. We didn't ordain him. He's out here preaching like one of us. Call down fire from heaven on him. And Jesus says, he's fine. If they're not against us, they're for us. That's completely missing now. There are, I, I Googled it last week to make sure I wasn't exaggerating this. There are over 45,000, not world religions, 45,000 plus Christian denominations. There's only 27 books in the New Testament. And it's the same basic story. A virgin conceives, has a baby, grows up to be a man, dies on a cross, three days later he's back. I mean, that's, that's pretty much the same story, whether you're Pentecostal or Roman Catholic, whatever. How could there be 45,000? I know there's a couple of divisions in Judaism and Islam, but 45,000? 40? I, I would think it would be a lot if there was 1,000. If there was 1,000, I'd be like, there's that much disagreement over 27 books? 45 plus. So anyway, in dialoguing with this man, I began to, that, that was early on in my journey, and I began thinking, you know, maybe I'm, maybe I just need to, let me explain it this way. Did you ever have, when you were in school, did you ever have somebody from a class above you say, oh, y'all better hope you don't get Miss Norton next year. She's mean. You, you'll hate her. She is so tough. And then you go and you get in her class, and you're like, She's great. What are they talking about? This was their, this was their prejudice that they're projecting onto me, or or somebody you, you know, it's, you know somebody new at school that said, don't talk to them. They're stuck up, whatever. And then you talk to them, you're like, what? Why do people think you're stuck? It's it's like don't ever believe somebody else's inferiority they projected onto you because they're trying to make themselves feel superior. All right, let me go through these. Uh, Eckhart Tolle says this. Uh, suffering has a noble purpose, the evolution of consciousness, the burning up of the ego. The reason 
I'm not trying to get you to make peace with disease or anything like that. Of course I want you to resist it. Of course, of course I want you to live and all that sort of thing. The reason I wanted to use this today is because what Jesus said, anything that is not of me is purged in the fire so that you can produce more fruit. I'm not saying that I don't believe that God sends terrible things on you to teach you a lesson. I don't believe that. However, how many of you know that some of the best lessons you've ever learned while you were in the fire, and that's the only way you could learn it? You could learn it from a fiery trial. You could learn in one fiery trial what you couldn't learn from a thousand sermons. I wish I didn't know this was the truth. Because my instinct is, no, don't suffer at all. But you know what, baby? The only way out is through, and you're going to have to learn to firewalk. And it has nothing to do with heaven and hell. It's about burning off what is not divine in you. You hear me? And I'm not saying that God gives you diseases. I'm not saying any of that. I'm saying the teacher is constantly speaking, and, and it's... The point of suffering is to, is to bring clarity. And, of course, I'm not saying just submit to it. Of course you push back. It's the, it's the pushing back of it that teaches you how to, how to manifest the fruit of the Spirit. So, I'm telling you, sometimes the worst thing that ever happened to you ends up being the best thing that ever happened to you. And it doesn't mean it, doesn't mean it didn't hurt like hell. I mean, some of you have gone through some stuff that you're like, I'm not, a, I'm not afraid of going to hell. I've already been through it. I've already lived through it. What could be worse than what I've already, what I've already experienced? And I'm telling you, sometimes the only way to get to heaven is to go through hell. I'm just telling you that is just, and not everybody is ready to believe that. But sometimes you have, you know, like when I read, um, in Revelation, where he says, he says he's, ha he's having this vision, and he sees this great company of people, and uh, he says, well, who are they? And, and, and the angel says, these are they that have come out of great tribulation. And I was always raised to believe those are people that are going to die during a three-and-a-half-year period. During the, it's, such a, it's, it, it's such a sophomoric interpretation of the Scripture. You know who are the people who have gone through great tribulation? Everybody! Tribulation goes a lot more than three and a half years. Some people are born into a situation that's intolerable. You know when divinity is released in you? When you look at it and say, this is, this is my truth, and I've got to learn how to navigate my way through it and out of it. And if I, if I submit, to, submit to victimization on this, I'll never manifest my divinity. I'll go through life with a completely human experience. And what I love, I didn't mention this when I showed you this passage out of John 15. He says, if you do this, whatever you ask in my name, you'll get it. Do you know what the implication there is? If you're going to pray in the name of Jesus, the name of Jesus isn't an abracadabra. It's not some mantra. Haven't you? I'm sure, if you're honest, there's some stuff that you tried the name of Jesus. It didn't work. <laughs> a 
that car that was stranded by the side of the road, you're like, in the name of Jesus. And it just, like, you call AAA. We've all, you know. Do, do you know when it works? When you realize he's the vine, you're the branch. It's not, you're not praying something, you're manifesting something you already have. It's what Jesus was saying when he, in Mark eleven twenty four. 24, he says, believe you receive when you pray. Why? Because you already have it. And sometimes it's not until the suffering that you get some clarity to see what you already have, what you've had all along. You're wasting your time praying for some intervention from heaven because you are heaven. You are His will is being done on earth as it is in heaven. And you're releasing something that is already a present reality with you now. You are already seated with Him in heavenly places. You are not, not trying to get to heaven. You are from heaven. Next thing I want to show you is this uh, quote by Lorraine Nyland. It says, when we mindfully explore the labyrinth of life, we evolve through our discoveries. When, you know, labyrinth is like a maze. Uh, when we refuse to acknowledge the opportunities life presents, we become stuck in the labyrinth, unaware that we are the key to unburdening our souls. When, something about her saying, stuck in the labyrinth i thought my god that's i completely know what she's talking about like if you can't get past your story of woe without a happy ending without without a like jesus said i'm going to go to jerusalem i'm going to be crucified but on the third day i'll be back he was prophesying his resurrection until you can see your way clear to say i'm going through hell right now but i see light at the end of the tunnel i'm in the heart of the earth for 48 hours or 72 hours but i will on the third day i will arise i will always have a third day i will always make a comeback i will always be okay the lord will perfect that which concerns me all things are working together for my until you can really say those things and mean them without any sense of self-pity People, let me tell you something. I know what it's like to throw a pity party with balloons and cake and everything. The minute you feel sorry for yourself, for whatever, you're stuck in the labyrinth. Until you can bless the thing, express gratitude for the thing, you're just going to keep going around, round and round and round. There's no way out of that maze. As soon as you bless it, this is a thing that happened. It broke my heart. I bless it. I bless it, and I thank God for it. Are you saying it came from God? No, I'm not even trying to. You know, it's like the disciples said, why is this boy blind? Because he sinned or because his parents sinned? Like, you just waste too much time trying to figure out why it happened. If it happened, acknowledge it. Bless it, express gratitude for it, and then find out that you have the keys of the kingdom to find your way out of the labyrinth. The next thing I want to show you, Ulanda Fay says this, everything that breaks us is everything that makes us. Life molds us into sheer perfection. Be not fearful of the heavy storms in life. They are merely here to shape our dreams and to allow our soul to unfold. And then finally, I think I 
Two more things I want to show you. Colossians 1.21, and this is the King James Version. I just want to remind you of this. And you that were sometime alienated and enemies, where? In your mind, by wicked works. In other words, you thought what you did separated you from God. Can I tell you something? There ain't nothing you've ever done or thought or been tempted with that God didn't already know about it before it happened. The whole thing about you trying to run around the Garden of Eden trying to scramble and find some fig leaves. And, you know, at the, at the end of that story, God puts, um, the, the creator puts animal skins on them. Why? Just to make them feel better. It's like, all right, if this will make you feel less naked, but I already saw you naked. After somebody's seen your nakedness, they already, <laughs> you can't unsee that. No point in locking the bathroom door now. They've already seen it all. <laughs> Front and back, there it is. Can't unsee it. I guess you know what I look like naked now. <laughs> I mean, I'm sorry to sound crude, but, if you know, like, has a nurse ask, ever asked you to do something, drop your pants or something that you felt awkward about? And, you know, you look at this woman's eyes and she's like, there ain't nothing you have that I ain't seen 400 times today. Really? We're going we're gonna to get all modest now? You think, you think yours is so special? <laughs> like, oh, no, you haven't seen. <laughs> I know you've seen others, but your eyes have not seen the glory. Like, yes, yes, baby, we've seen the glory. I mean, <laughs> like one of the main... Um, Homophobic arguments I used to hear uh, from homophobes would be like, well, straight men just don't want to believe, you know, if a gay man's in a locker room, they're afraid he's going to see him naked. But baby, if you've ever been in a locker room, I promise you, somebody, somebody gay has seen you, and somehow they managed <laughs> to resist the glory of your revealed name. I mean, you're really... Well, no man better put his hand on me. Let me tell you something, Bubba. If women aren't chasing you down the street trying to rip your clothes off, it's unlikely that a man is going to either. And if he does, that's called sexual harassment. That has nothing to do with sexual orientation. That's illegal and inappropriate no matter what. But relax. You're not that. Like, we saw it. We saw you in the locker room. And guess what? We were able to move on with our lives. <laughs> or I remember before, before they dropped the don't ask, don't tell, there was a general who was against LGBTQ people being in the military. And he says, well, a man just don't want to believe if he's in a foxhole with another man that he's going to be sexually assaulted. And I'm like, let me tell you everything that's wrong with that argument. First of all, you're in a foxhole. Secondly, you're at work. Like, I know, I have a friend, there's a friend of mine who is gay. You would, you, if you saw him, you would, you wouldn't have to have gaydar. You would know, yeah, he's probably gay. He lives on a submarine. He's in the Navy. I asked him one time, I said, what's, I said, is anybody ever uncomfortable with you? Like, short, close, he said, are you kidding me? We're in a, there's nothing sexy going on under the water. You're like, everybody's just trying to do their job. You're at work. Secondly, General, 
the soldier's trained to be a killing machine. Really? You're, you're living in a uh, foxhole, but you, you don't have the courage to say, nah, bro, I don't roll that way. <laughs> you know. And they're shooting at us. We're in a foxhole. If somebody's trying to accost you in a foxhole, I think y'all have other problems to deal with that has nothing to do with sexual orientation. Sorry. I just had to vent there for a minute. Uh, and then uh, seven, one more by Eckhart Tolle. We'll leave it with this. Life will give you whatever experience is most helpful for the evolution of your consciousness. How do you know this is the experience you need? Listen, because this is the experience you are having at the moment. I, I, I could tell you so many scriptural references right now. It was good for me that I was afflicted. There were you know, so many things where David would look at things and make peace with the thing he'd been through. Again, I'm not telling you just to live in suffering mode. If anything, suffering a lot of times is really a, a, a perception. You know, suffering is how you determine to respond to it. But I can tell you this, even this little, and this is not the, I don't think this is the reason I'm teaching this this morning. But I will tell you what I've been through recently, and I'm still basically going through, uh, is a witness to what I'm talking about. Because I'm so blessed that I found this out. If I hadn't known, if that doctor just hadn't said, I'm a little concerned. He said, I've never, your cholesterol's never been high. I'd like you to go to this imaging thing. It's like a CAT scan. Uh, he said, before I just prescribe a statin to you, I'd like to see what's going on in your heart. If he hadn't said that, I would have had no idea. I'd have been like going through life, la, 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 with a time bomb. With a, again, not say the word, but the difference with one of those to just regular heart trouble, if you're having a heart attack, you at least probably have time to call 911 or get to a, a you know, emergency room or there, you know, there's some warning not with this it's just like and you drop you know to which i thought oh my god i've said to my kids so much in the last few years i do not want to go through a long drawn out thing i do not want y'all to go through with me what i went through with dad you know when it's my time i want to be out of here quick i had to tell the cells of my body i didn't mean that fast <laughs> which i i don't know Give me some time to text my kids or something. It's like, Jesus, have I spoken into existence the quickest possible way out of here? The most, I mean, I'm t I went through a few days. When I, when I first called Ken, it was on a Thursday, I said, I just need to tell you this. this I, and uh, he said, well, we'll talk about it tomorrow night when I'm there. I said, well, if I'm here, I mean, I'm hoping. But, it, I mean, I, I wasn't just being facetious, but the guy had me freaked out. And uh, I said, if I don't see you again, and I wouldn't just be a negative, I said, but if I don't see you again, these last 11 years have been awesome. And I just, I know you know this, but I needed to tell you, because I don't, I just heard some news that made me think, I might not be able to tell you this, and I don't want to leave anything unsaid. I called my friend Howie, and uh, he immediately, he knows me, he said, well, he said, what's wrong? I said, what, what makes you think something's wrong? He said, because I know I'm hearing your voice. I said, well... I just need to tell you this, and he got real emotional, and he said, I'm going to say this to you. God forbid something happens to you or me. He said, I'm on these ships all the time. Anything could happen. But he said, I loved you the first time I met you when we were kids. I've never not loved you. We've, le we've left nothing unsaid. So if, God forbid, something happened, I would have no regrets in thinking, oh, I wish I had told you. He said, you already know that. And so honestly, not that I think I'm leaving next week. I'm planning, y'all you know, better be there on April 2nd. Y'all better bring me a card. 
You're prophesying a lot today. <laughs> Sister Rosalind's got the word of the Lord today. In case you didn't hear, she said, with some money in it, Jesus. Um, but uh, um, I went through a few days where every morning that I woke up, I was like, oh, my God, I woke up. I was, like, so happy. And, you know, you say, well, that's, that's kind of negative. No, it's not. It makes you go through every, everything in your day thinking, oh, my God, this is delicious what I'm eating. Or this is wonderful. I don't think I want to lose that if I live out my full 120 years. Or who knows, by the time we get down the road, we may have eliminated death by then. I don't know. Lord knows we've pushed it back. The, the, but it's not a bad thing. Doesn't it give you, I see it in your writings all the time. It gives you clarity. It makes you say things that sometimes you think, oh, I'm not going to say that because maybe they know. No, you, you just, even today, we were on the elevator, and I said to him, coming down the car, I said, thanks for always going to church with me. I mean, it's never, it's never been a problem. He's never said, you know, I don't, you know, he, I said, just thank you. I don't take that for granted. Uh, when we first uh, met, uh, is when we had just the first time he ever came to church and we were is the last day we were on the property on iris and uh, that's when we went over to um, we were kind of going lots of places there for a minute and I told him because that first Wednesday night we were meeting over there in old town Conyers and I look at he's he's standing there I said, what are you doing here he said what's well, Wednesday night church and I, you know when you first meet somebody you can't say by the way I need you to be at every service because that's not, <laughs> you can't make that requirement. You just hope they like it. Because he's heard a lot of my stories in 11 years over and over again. I mean, how, how many times can you sit in the front row and go, <laughs> I've never heard this before. Uh, I'm aware. But uh, I said, hey, I just want to tell you, if we go to this building, we may have to go to multiple services. And I said, I'm not requiring that you go to those and he said if you had nine services on a Sunday I'd be there at every one of them I said uh, I think we have a winner uh, because I had not not with my marriage before but I had been in a relationship where that was not at all the case and that's no reflection on him it's just like I don't think you're the right person for me because this is what I do this isn't where I go to church this is my like if you don't get this you 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 really have huh no, don't say that. <laughs> he was cute. <laughs> he had his moment. Um, but, uh, but the point is, is like, um, if you don't know what I'm doing right now, then you have, you've never met me. You don't know, you don't even know me then. Because this is profoundly important to me. So, um, I'm very aware of, uh, even just gratitude for, those of you that have been driving to this theater for this many years, that's not even in your neighborhood. I don't take that for granted. Yeah, we know. We've heard it before. Well, I'm probably going to tell you again. Um, so, whatever experience you are having at the moment is the one you're supposed to be having. Don't question it. Power through, yes. Call those things which are not as though they are, yes. Believe for the best, yes. If you hear what I'm saying in a way that says just be negative and give up and surrender to it, that's not, I hope you all know that's not what I'm saying. 
In all these things, we are more than conquerors to him that loved us. But he goes on to say, I'm persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, whatever, can separate us from the love of God. So don't question your journey. Don't question anything that's happened, whatever's happened. Embrace it. Even if you want to have regrets, just don't. Just look back on all of it and say, you know what? It's fine. One more time, Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. Joseph looks at his brothers and he said, because they, they said, well, he's going to kill us now, now that he knows who we are. And he says, am I in the place of God? He said, you meant it for evil. God used it for good to save many people alive. He said, if y'all hadn't done that, we would have all starved in Canaan. And, uh, and besides, I'm the prince of Egypt now, so you better recognize. But it's like it was, you know, they say the best revenge is living well. Like there was no point in him rubbing it in there because clearly he was the head and not the tail above only and not beneath. So sometimes you just have to let a thing run its course and bless it. I had late last night, I had a minister friend of mine call me who said, I just need three minutes of your time and a situation where, uh, how do I say this without, um, another ministry really taking advantage of something that was his life's work. And he says, what I'm wanting to know, should I get an attorney? Should I test this? I said, you have to make this decision. But I said, if it was me, I would let it go. I would bless it. I would say, somehow this thing's going to vindicate you. Because once you take it into your hands and try to deal with this, you know, pardon me for going old school, but you're wrestling against flesh and blood. And uh, I, I would sit back and just bless it. And if this is what they want to do, let it go and be at peace with it. He said, thank you. I just needed to hear your voice. The first peace that I felt, I know that's the right thing to do. I said, well, you have to make that decision. I said, honestly, I don't know what I would do in that case. But my inclination is to say, when it comes, bless it, process it, and move on from it. Again, a lot of the themes of your songs today, Win, were very much about moving on, rearview window. You were right in the zone. Don't ever doubt. It's not just your singing talent, and you're adorable. Your your whole your your attitude, your energy, your smile. It's not just your singing. It's the whole thing. You're ve you're you're very appealing. But there's something much deeper than that, and it's your ability to tap in to what is the word of the Lord, and the word of the Lord has been spoken here today. In, in every conversation that we've had, in every greeting to one another, um, and the word is becoming flesh and dwelling among us. Let's all stand. Did you get anything out of this today? I know it's a little muggy in here, and I just let it go, because I, I don't want some of y'all will argue. If, if, it was, if the heat was on in here, you would tell me how cold you were. So I just let y'all be comfortable while well, I broke a sweat. Huh? Never cold enough for me. Let's uh, remain standing, please. Let's do the outro. Contributing to Metron is quick and easy. You can give anytime using any smartphone. Text the amount you'd like to donate to 404-620-5044. You will then receive a notification that you successfully completed your donation. You may also visit visionthenow.com and click the support tab to give there as well. 
When you contribute to Metron, you're also donating to the charity or organization of the month. Thank you for your investment into Metron. Uh, if you have a check, Danny will be back at the back. Make it J-E-S-M. And if you have cash, just play it, pay it forward. Bless somebody. If you want to, uh, we're going to bless uh, Wynn today. But if you have cash and you want to bless him as well, please feel free to do that. Remember, we will meet again April 2nd, not here, but at the Atlanta Theater, 200 uh, Arizona. I changed this. If you if if you put 195 it, in the GPS, it, it tells you to turn whatever that street is. So I, 200 will bring you right in front. The parking is on the street, but it's ample parking. You will not have any problem. There's a whole soccer field you can park in front of. It's all and walk right in. Okay. So I'm and uh, we will be celebrating my birthday that day. All right. Uh, you are. He is the vine. You are the branch. Go release the presence of God. Go be divine. Let his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God bless you. Go in peace. See you April 2nd. <laughs>